Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the head of Pfizer Canada says he's committed to meeting vaccine targets as the Prime Minister announces some doses will arrive sooner than planned. That's part of the reason why we can say with such confidence that everyone who wants a vaccine in Canada will get one by the end of September. A Huawei executive in Canada dodges questions about the two Michaels while insisting Meng Wanzhou has done nothing wrong. It's an interesting approach for Morgan Elliott to make in that interview. I mean, Huawei is still hoping that the Canadian government will allow it to participate in Canada's 5G network when so many other Five Eyes allies have said no thanks to Huawei. And the Senate begins final debate this week on amendments to the medical assistance in dying bill. We have to understand whether disadvantaged and vulnerable Canadians and those with disabilities are more likely to access MAID as the critics of this legislation have so eloquently argued over these many weeks. It's Monday, February the 15th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Peter, thank you for joining us. Hi, Mark. Good to talk to you. So let's talk first about vaccines, which is really the dominant story right now in Canadian politics. And I think two themes, two broad themes have emerged. One is over where we stand on the procurement of vaccines. And there have been some developments over the weekend, uh, comments from Pfizer and, and, and efforts by the government to continue to procure more vaccines. And then the other is kind of an intergovernmental uh, battle within Canada on whether or not we can be developing more vaccines in this country, uh, whether the federal government is blocking the provinces from procuring vaccines, as some provincial leaders have suggested. Um, and I, I think it's starting to show, show some cracks in in what, to a large extent, over the last 11 months has been a, a coordinated effort to try to help Canadians through this crisis. Yeah, I think at the, you know, you would like to think really at the heart of a campaign to keep your citizens safe would be the notion of confidence, Mark. And I think any time that gets underlined, um, you start to face problems. And, and what's happening, uh, you know, we, you know, I've talked about this before, that confidence has been underlined before by, um, you know, uh, sniping between uh, the federal government and, and some premiers. And here we are again on a, on a couple of different fronts here. We have concerns about vaccine supply, and now you have you know, the Premier of Manitoba going out to say that, you know, he's already signed a contract for 2 million doses uh, of a yet to be, of a, of a domestically manufactured vaccine that is yet to be uh, okayed by the government or, or passed through clinical trials. Jason Kenney, the Premier of Alberta, is saying uh, he thinks other premiers should get in on it too and help, you know, put up enough what, what amounts in many ways to seed money to push this process through. So, you know, and they're saying, essentially accusing the federal government of, of being late to the the party in terms of getting a domestic uh, vaccine uh, program up and running, which is hard to argue against. And then on the other uh, side of that, you got premiers as well uh, talking about a rollout and vaccine supplies and uh, the notion that, you know, they, in, in, in step with what I've just talked about, they wanted to go out and buy their own uh, vaccines or have looked at the possibility of buying their own vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna. And we're told, according to Brian Pallister, sorry, we won't sell it to you because we have a unique deal with the federal government. So the federal government denies that, say, says we're not stopping anybody. 
uh, province from buying their own if they want to. We don't think it's the most efficient or cost-effective way to do it, but we're not, by no means blocking anybody, and Brian Pallister's saying, yeah, that's not true. Uh, so here we are again with... Uh, confidence being undermined and confidence from the Canadian public, you know, you, you want as a number one thing, everybody pulling together so that people believe they're being told the truth, have very few questions about who's telling them the truth. And here we are in a situation again, where uh, there are going to be, to some degree, people going, who do I believe here? And at the end of the day, everybody wants to get vaccinated and everybody wants the quickest path to vaccination. But these are issues and questions that continue to linger about who's actually telling me the truth. Who do I believe here? Are we doing as well as we could be doing? Or have, you know, have we dropped the ball on, on a number of key things? Yeah, those are all great questions, obviously. And and uh, what do you think uh, Canadians are feeling about this? Because obviously you, you add a layer of impatience to this, uh, not necessarily d- uh, direct impatience with the government, but impatience with the pandemic. And, um, and as this wears on, kind of like a situation where uh, a government, uh, an incumbent government can pay a price for bad economic conditions, whether it's the government's fault or not, you would think that there's a potential toll that this takes, right? Sure, and you can pay, you know, you you can pay the price as a government for bad economic conditions, but we've seen governments in the past uh, soar above those concerns by responding properly and effectively to economic conditions beyond their control. Uh, Just because you didn't start the recession and that it has nothing to do with uh, your performance doesn't mean you can't protect Canadians against it. We, you know, we've we've seen that a number of times before. So th- there's this, you know, this this need to to act and as as I say, give give people uh, that confidence. And and what happens is you get to a point where we have Canadians and seen some some uh, recent polling that uh, you know less than a third of Canadians believe uh, they'll get a vaccination as the Prime Minister has promised by the end of September, and yet that's been the overriding message for for months. That and even though there've been some holdups and reductions in supply and delays because of manufacturing issues in in Europe for the supply of Canadian vaccine, the government has repeatedly said, "Look, keep your eye on the longer game. Uh, that longer game is six million doses uh, by the end of March, and that uh, you know, and and, and then uh, eighty four a million total doses by the end of September, more than enough uh, to, to vaccinate all of Canadians. And yet you see Canadians that uh, in, in surveys saying they still don't believe it. And I come back to the point I was making earlier, Mark, that if there, there are doubts about the legitimacy of the message and the buy-in from Canadians, that isn't helped uh, by the fact that you have uh, the federal government and the province is arguing about how effectively uh, the vaccination right. rollout is being handled. All right, let's turn to a couple of other stories. We're expecting this week uh, to see some more discussion and debate around the medical assistance in dying legislation, which uh, has gone to the Senate and the Senate has already approved some amendments. Um, and Uh, There are people describing this as a potential battle that could shape up between the elected House of Commons, the unelected Senate. Uh, Do you see it that way or do you think there is a path forward around some type of consensus that will get this bill through? Well, we'll know pretty quickly. The House is back on Tuesday after a constituency break. Uh, The Senate takes these uh, takes this up again uh, this week as well. Uh, I expect that 
cabinet meeting Thursday is when the federal government will consider uh, the Senate amendments and decide on a path forward. So I think we'll know before the end of the week whether we have a standoff here, whether we have the makings of a compromise or where we're headed next. I think it's important to point out that, you know, the the Senate's uh, put forward a couple of key amendments here that would change the bill, and including uh, allowing uh, those uh, who are, uh, you know, um, worried about being diagnosed with dementia, uh, for instance, uh, or other similar disorders down the road uh, that would allow them to make advance requests for assisted death, which is currently not the case. Uh, that's not allowed. And another amendment uh, from the Senate would put this uh, sunset clause on the bill, 18-month time limit uh, for the bill's ban on assisted dying for people whose only underlying uh, condition is is a is mental illness. So they want to put a uh, you know, an eighteen month uh, time limit on that, uh, which would force the government to be back revisiting this again within eighteen months. Is that something the government's prepared to look at uh, potentially? But in terms of the you know the thing, the same kind of thing we've seen before, it comes down to a uh, to some degree. The question is how far will it go? Is a standoff between the, the House and Senate? The House sent the bill to the Senate the way that MPs in the House voted to send it to the Senate. The Senate is changing it and sending it back. So in theory, it could ping pong back and forth here till there's some resolution. And this is all in the context of a uh, a third extension granted by a, a Quebec court that ruled that these provisions being changed by the government and the bill mark were unconstitutional. They've given them till February 26th to make these changes. So the clock is ticking down here. But we'll know in a couple of days here whether this is going to get messier or whether there's room for the government to accept an amendment or we'll hear by the end of the week, I think, flat out if the government is saying, look, we put the bill before you, we want it. That's the bill we want, and we're prepared to stand by that. And then we could be into a, an interesting uh, uh, a bit of a political game between the mm. two houses. Yeah. All right, just as we wrap up, uh, some quick thoughts from you, Peter, on an interview given by an executive from Huawei, the vice president of government relations in Canada, with Global News on the weekend, in which he did not condemn the arbitrary detention of Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor and uh, insisted that Meng Wanzhou, who's in custody, of course, in Canada, uh, has done nothing wrong. Um, do you think that this reflects on where this whole storyline is going? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I guess what I'd say in in, in you know, following that interview, Mark, and the comments that were made is that, you know, um, it, it's an interesting approach uh, for um, Morgan Elliott to make in, in that interview. I mean, Huawei is still hoping that the Canadian government will allow it to participate in Canada's 5G network when so many other uh, five uh, Five Eyes allies have said no thanks to Huawei. And Payne's trying to differentiate between the company and whether or not it's under the, uh, the long arm of control of... Uh, the Chinese government. So, I, you know, at the end of the day, uh, if if you, you you can't say flat out to a question, or you know, do you think the two Michaels ought to be released and that they're being improperly detained, and you can't answer that, and your answer is, you know, we think they should come home, and so should Meng Wanzhou. She should be sent home. It's it's hard to continue to make the link that okay, we're not connected to the Chinese uh, government. Uh, you know, we operate independently, and I don't think it 
probably at the end of the day, it probably doesn't uh, bolster Huawei's uh, case to find supporters in Canada uh, to try and allow it to join the 5G uh, building process in this country. Opponents will seize on this and say, this is why we don't want Huawei to be part of it. All right. We'll see what happens, and uh, there might be more reaction to this over the next few days. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. All right, Mark. Great to talk to you. Take care. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Chantal Hébert argues Canadians won't be going to the polls before they get their COVID-19 vaccinations. Hébert writes, If there is one thing an incumbent party does not want as it makes a bid for re-election, it is to be forced off script by events outside of its control. Aaron O'Toole is right when he predicts the next campaign will not be fought with all eyes on the rearview mirror. The underlying ballot box question will be that of the competence of the main contenders. That's why an efficient vaccine deployment is so central to Liberal fortunes. That's also why O'Toole is scrambling to recast his party as a reassuring government-in-waiting. In an editorial, the Ottawa Sun argues vaccinations will be a game of patience. The Sun writes, One day there will be enough vaccine for everybody in Canada who wants it. Just not yet. And that shortage has led to some unfortunate episodes. As we wait, we're bound to hear of other queue jumpers, though most folks aren't abusing their privileges. Good for them. Like it or not, it's going to be a game of patience. In the National Post, Raymond J. D'Souza argues there's no need to change Canada's vice-regal system. D'Souza writes, There is no reason whatsoever to trade in our modest monarchy for the inflated cult of the president that infects both the French and American models. In any case, our Constitution makes it politically impossible to change our head of state, so we are stuck with what we have got. The genius of Canada's Constitution is that the vice-regal reality has been made to work exceptionally well in practice. There is no need to change it, even if it could be done. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Trudeau government is reportedly set to table new gun control legislation as early as this week. As CPAC's Martin Stringer reports, both gun control advocates and gun owners will be watching with interest. Mark, the government is set to act on its promise to bring in enhanced gun control legislation. The bill will follow through on the government's move this spring when it announced the banning by cabinet order of more than 1,500 models and types of assault-style weapons. Among other things, the legislation is expected to introduce a program to buy back at fair market value those firearms and other prohibited arms, but with the possibility of some owners keeping some firearms, but with strict conditions. The legislation is also expected to propose a type of red flag legislation similar to that which has been enacted in the United States, and that allows police, doctors, and other authorities, along with victims of domestic abuse, to prohibit gun ownership by certain dangerous individuals. There will be stricter rules for gun purchases, storage, and more resources for police and border services. And Mark, we'll have to see if the Liberal government follows through on an election promise to transfer more gun control powers to the municipalities. Thanks, Martin. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, February the 15th. Tune into Primetime Politics throughout the week on CPAC for coverage of all the daily events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.